0: This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm Jennifer Jewell. I don't know about you, but for me, the garden or trail, they ground me. At the same time that they liberate me, they open my mind and heart, they settle me down while simultaneously teaching me about and connecting me to nature, science, and humanity. For some... This combination of grounding, expansion, and liberation that can be gleaned from a greater understanding and connection to the natural world is crucial and valuable in even more immediate ways. Today, Kelly Bush and Carl Elliott of the Sustainability in Prisons Project in Washington State join us from the studios of KOAS Community Radio on the Evergreen State College campus. Kelly is the program manager for the Sustainability in Prisons Project Carl is the project's conservation nursery manager. The project is a partnership between the Evergreen State College and the Washington State Department of Corrections. Welcome to you both.
1: Thank you.
2: Thank you very much.
0: I always like to start with personal histories and what bring people to their love of what they do, and the work that they are currently doing. So I'd like to start with you, Kelly. Tell us a little bit about your interest in in horticulture and ultimately your work with the Sustainability in Prisons project.
1: Sure. So I can remember from an early age being really interested in plants growing. I can remember my grandfather having his tomato starts in the windowsill in eastern Washington and watching those plants grow and then go out into the field and um, that interest grew into, you know, something more serious as I pursued education. I received a degree in horticulture at the community college. I thought that maybe my education would end there um, and then realized that there was so much more to know and um, that my, my interest, uh, you know, hadn't, hadn't been completely satiated. So I uh, pursued a degree in agriculture ecology here at the Evergreen State College.
0: And what about you, Carl?
2: I started out as an apprentice, an apprentice farmer, even when I was about 19 years old and wanted to do that, but most of my horticulture experience has been working with the Seattle Tilth Association in the 90s, and that was engaging the public in growing their own food and creating a community around food, and that was the basis for um, the Seattle Tilt Association
0: that engaging the public seems to flow right into what you might be doing now with the Sustainability in Prisons project. Carl, tell us a little bit about how you moved from one sort of public engagement to this new kind of public engagement.
2: I was lured in by (laughs) the then director of the Sustainability in Prisons project when I was a um, graduate student here at the Evergreen State College an opportunity arose to be able to present horticulture classes to the many gardens that exist in correction centers in Washington to be able to take up that gardening to a new educational level so they could understand some of the principles of horticulture and in particular looking at making organic horticulture part of their general practice and be able to answer questions for themselves so i was Loved doing that. There was a warm and receptive audience. And from there, it is just exploded in opportunities. Um, now we have gardens in, I believe, all 12 correction centers across Washington State. And not only that, we have conservation nurseries, nurseries that are involving outside partners, restoring habitat in western Washington, and Doing that by bringing plants and the cultivation of those plants for restoration into the correction center.
0: And Kelly, what brought you to your work with the Sustainability in Prisons Project?
1: So after graduating from the Evergreen State College, I took a position with Washington State Parks. And there I did a lot of work around restoration ecology. And um, in that position, I had my first experience working with incarcerated Um, individuals in work crews out in the field, and we wouldn't have been able to accomplish the work we were doing without their help. And I remember one day thinking uh, we were on a really amazing park site that is an important place for shorebird migration, and I thought, well, maybe I'll start today with talking a little bit about why this place is important and the importance of the work that they're doing here. And I wasn't sure how that would go. I I had some assumptions that I really shouldn't have had about that audience. And when I told them about the place and... um, why I thought it was so special and, and why we were doing the work we were doing, they were highly interested in, really wanted to know more. And so I ended up starting each day when we were doing that kind of ecological restoration work with some bit of education, even though it was informal. When the opportunity came up for this position, I saw it as a, a great chance to combine my interest in human and, uh, you know, and ecosystems, in humans and ecosystems.
0: That multi-level restoration of... A person building their life and um, them helping to rebuild an ecological place or system uh, is pretty pretty powerful. Give us a description, a summary of what is the mission of the sustainability in prisons project, and when it started, and where it, where it is now.
1: Yeah, so the program began informally in two thousand three at a single correction center here in Washington State. And from there, it has grown tremendously. There are 12 Washington State prisons, and now all 12 prisons have programs. We have over 150 programs, we just recently counted, that involve work with living things, um, sustainability, and science education. So our mission is to reduce the uh, economic, environmental, and human costs of prisons by bringing in uh, opportunities for uh, science education, environmental education, uh, restoration and sustainability education,
0: and you have multiple programs that fall under the project. Give us a rundown of the different programs, the core programs in the in the project.
1: We have five different major program areas: uh, sustainable operations, uh, ecological conservation. Uh, environmental education, sustainable operations, and biophilia is a new category that we've added. Under those major program headings, we have a wide variety of programs. An example of a sustainable operations program would be composting. Nearly every prison has some form of composting program now. Um, Our conservation nurseries fall under the ecological conservation uh, program heading. And uh, to give an example of biophilia, these are programs that include things like having houseplants in living units. We have some facilities that have fish ponds. Um, these are all bringing in connections with nature um, or education. We have a great education program that is a curriculum uh, we picked up from an organization called Roots of Success that offers environmental literacy curriculum. So, um, you know, as I mentioned before, education really is a, a, an important piece of everything that we do The conservation nursery programs include extensive education, workshops, um, and Carl could tell you more about that piece.
2: The conservation nurseries work to bring each essential component of the Sustainability in Prisons Project together. So we want to be able to take what's outside the conservation of plants, animals, and bring it inside so people can become connected. So it's not an isolated community inside of a correction center. You can walk in there and feel, obviously, there's fences, there's closing gates. It's all that, those metaphors. But the reality is, is it becomes extremely isolated. So the idea is we want to bring in nature from the outside. We want to also make sure that there's a strong educational component. So not only do people who are growing these plants need to be well-trained, but they also have to have the context that they're going to have. For example, we cultivate, um, at, at the most, about 84 species of native prairie plants. Of that, only about 12 to 15, before our program started, only 12 or 15 of those had known protocols for cultivation. So the education involves teaching them the scientific method that we need to do to develop the protocols to grow these plants and to have the patience. Most of the time, I don't know, we're used to going up and getting fast food. We're used to going up and getting fast answers. The scientific method and conservation does not function with fast answers. So some of the things we're teaching is patience, years' patience, not only to the incarcerated individuals but to the staff themselves.
0: So give us an example. So the the Prairie Restoration Project is a lowland prairie restoration program. Correct. Give us right. an example of the kinds of plants you're working with and the process involved that, that you were just referring to.
2: So it, it kind of goes under the rubric of western lowland prairie, and it varies up from central California through Vancouver Island by its species composition, but there are a great amount of similarities. So some of the plants people might recognize are fescues, blue fescues, and there's many different species and subspecies, but they are a foundation of it. Another one they might recognize are Indian paintbrush. Um, once again, a number of different species, but it has is a similarity, especially from Vancouver Island south into the Lamont Valley. Other plants that you might be um, recognized as spring gold or biscuit root. Mm-hmm. These are the whole lomations. They're very common. Um, especially in Central California also. But all the way up is this complex um, that was very important for not only the establishment of um, the flora and fauna, um, it provided a lot of nectar, for example, to butterflies, food for um, gophers and small rodents, um, and of course up the food chain, it was a very, it was a very complex and well-developed ecosystem that has been com- almost completely eliminated down to just 2% of its current past extent um, by development, agriculture, um, and a lot of it has to do with uh, a lot of urban sprawl across some of the most uh, productive areas that we have. So that's the ecosystem we're working on. Some people might be familiar with a butterfly that is dependent on this, and that's the Edith checkerspot or Taylor's checkerspot, one of the most famous and studied um, butterflies in the world um, by Paul Ehrlich out of Stanford. So many people might recognize that, and it's a complex of butterflies, meaning there were species and subspecies, dependent on this lowland prairie ecosystem all the way through the West Coast.
0: I'm Jennifer Jewell and this is Cultivating Place. Today we're speaking with Kelly Bush and Carl Elliott of the Sustainability in Prisons Project, a partnership between the Evergreen State College and the Washington State Department of Corrections. We began by hearing about the history of the initiative. We'll be back after a break to hear more about the specifics of the individual growing programs and their impacts on lives and on the environment. Stay with us. Welcome back. Kelly Bush and Carl Elliott of the Sustainability in Prisons Project, a partnership between the Evergreen State College and the Washington State Department of Corrections, are back with us. I believe there are two different programs in the Sustainability in Prisons Project. One is specifically to do with the rearing and establishment of the checker spot. The other is to do with the... um, Germinating, maybe seed collecting, and then growing of plugs that you would take out into the restoration areas in this lowland prairie. How many incarcerated individuals and staff members are involved in this project uh, through uh, through the whole sustainability in prisons project?
1: That's a. That's a difficult number to uh, tally. I could I could give you numbers for the conservation, the ecological conservation programs, um, with an estimate of around um, 60 to 70 people total involved, including uh, incarcerated uh, students and technicians and and staff that support these programs. But I can tell you that we have over 3,000 incarcerated individuals participating in sustainability um, jobs in the state and that at recent count that ends up being almost 20% of the incarcerated population now involved in some kind of science or sustainability program.
0: Wow. What kind of, how do you measure outcomes?
1: So, measuring outcomes um, can be done in a few different ways. It's it's obviously fairly easy to track uh, the number of plants that go out or the number of butterflies that are restored um, to an area or released to an area it is more difficult for us to measure the impacts on incarcerated individuals in these programs. Doing research with incarcerated individuals is um, difficult um, for good reason because they're considered a vulnerable population. And so doing research with them is, is time and resource intensive. We are chipping away at that. We have a lot of anecdotal evidence and we collect a lot of that. And we are working with social science partners to understand um, impacts on empathy and self-efficacy and recidivism and some of those outcomes. So we are tracking that. Um, our our outcomes, our measures around recidivism aren't aren't complete yet. Uh, we need additional time to be able to evaluate that. There are some standards at looking at those numbers for repeat offense, um, and we haven't. Our program hasn't reached the maturity to be able to uh, evaluate that.
0: Anecdotally, what what kind of experiences have each of you had in in working with this project that give you hope that it's having the impact you, you would like it to have, both environmentally and on a human scale?
2: I'll address the human scale first and anecdotally give you a picture of what the opportunities that someone comes across as a incarcerated technician they are going to be able to um, begin to work and become, the biggest thing I get from them is that they become vested into it to the point where they begin to increase their curiosity and they begin to ask questions about their connection to the broader environment. And that is something that takes time over as the program grows. First, they do, I often see them working as a laborer. They're not really seeing their job as anything other than labor until they find out all the different parts that they get to track and understand. And that's just for the ecological um, restoration part of it. I mean, I was just meeting with the um, compost technicians at one of our facilities, and we were using, going to use their compost to make compost tea. And you need to have very high-quality compost for that, and that it cannot have gone anaerobic at any time. It has to be, have a lot of beneficial organisms, not toxic organisms. And I, have, and I know I've been making compost for quite some time and was able to simply judge the quality that they were creating, and they were making some of the highest-quality compost I'd seen at a commercial facility, because they are making commercial-size amounts. But the point is is they began to realize when I was telling them this that that someone appreciates that and their knowledge was appreciated. Oftentimes, the majority, the majority of technicians have a complex and sometimes difficult relationship with education. Um, Many of them had earned their GAD while being incarcerated. They didn't have one before. And they began to change their Attitude or I should say that attitudes not a good word but change the their personal relationship to education they could then realize that, look I can actually teach myself and to me that anecdotally is one of the most important things
1: yeah I, I certainly witness people um, as Carl said you know really just feeling empowered by the opportunity to work in these programs um, anecdotally we hear often people saying you know that that it's um, really significant to them that they're being trusted to Raise endangered species or threatened species, that um, their contributions are being valued. And as Carl said, you know, it seems to really spark uh, an interest in education and continuing that and their relationship with education. We've seen um, folks actually uh, complete our program and, and actually come here to the Evergreen State College campus. We just yesterday hired somebody who was a formerly incarcerated uh, technician in our butterfly program, and she's now an employee with SPP and a college student here which is, you know, really wonderful to, to experience, and her contributions to our program will be really helpful for all of us. We also see um, people, you know, taking on these practices in their everyday life or planning to. I've, you know, met with technicians in the past who, um, you know, were part of a gardening program and had previously had no relationship with growing vegetables and They were releasing soon and talking about their plans for where they were putting their hoop house, and they'd already specced out the the cost of that hoop house and been talking with their family about growing a vegetable garden for the first time as a means to reduce their um, expenses and also as for the therapeutic benefits of, of gardening. So, you know, I feel like even if we only touch one person in that way, that that's really significant the issues that we're facing in our environment are so significant, we really need to broaden participation in the environmental movement and have everybody taking on, you know, some piece of reducing their their environmental footprint. So even if that was the only outcome, I think that would be good.
0: How how old is the program at this point?
1: Well, the formal partnership um, began in 2008. It was started very informally in 2003, but Mm -hmm. Um, at this point, you know we we have some years under our belt. Um, we're we're approaching the ten-year point at that um, formal partnership.
0: In looking forward, what are your individual hopes for um, maybe from you, Kelly, the overall program and its in its reach, and for you, Carl, the kind of nursery division hopes of, of what you might be able to try for and accomplish.
1: My hopes for this program are to um, significantly increase education opportunities for incarcerated individuals and those who are um, reentering our communities post-release. I think there's much more we can do to bring in education. Uh, we know that education is the most effective means for reducing recidivism, and I also, you know, just believe that it's very um, empowering and in, in personal transformation. So, we are, you know, trying to bring a lot more education. Um, enhancing the education opportunities that are in our existing programs and um, also bringing in new education opportunities for program participants as well as trying to support those, um, those people that are releasing back to our communities in pursuing education.
0: And for you, Carl?
2: Well, I think there will be no end to the restoration of our ecological processes as long as we are part of the environment. What I mean by that is that our environment requires our active engagement. So there is probably no end to crazy ideas that could come our way that we could try to do. And, and it sounds, because it is, sounds a little crazy when you say that, yes, we're going to be raising uh, captive butterflies to re- re-release in the wild in a correction center. We, Kelly was just approached this year to raise sheep. To reduce the amount, these are domestic sheep that, raise, that would be released near um, wild sheep, so they don't spread. They'd be proven to not carry certain diseases that would spread to the wild sheep. That's kind of a crazy idea. Um, and there's more of them all the time. We have milkweed projects to help the monarch butterfly. There are m- many, many projects. So a lot of it's overwhelming. You know. Where do you pick and choose? And I think one of my um, goals is that we could involve greater numbers of conservation organizations to commit themselves to different projects in correction centers in other states and other countries. Because we're, so the Sustainability in Prisons Project is going to be small. But its influence and other people doing a similar project is, if you have, could be great. So, if someone has conservation needs in their community, in their environment, look to more than just the usual suite of volunteers. Reach out and broaden your um, volunteer base, your people who you're paying, people who you are involving. Because that way, more people will be interested in, engaged, more engaged in the environment that's
0: around them. I mean, I think the element of education is so important. But to have that education be tied to or embedded in that connection to the land around us, the processes of the world, the the plants and the birds and the bugs that we that we see seems to carry... Mm, just a little more grounding, um, especially perhaps for for people who are are looking to be more grounded. So what what do you think horticulturally do you see as the, the benefits of this not only being educational, but being horticultural education?
2: One, it allows people, so horticulture education and the process of cultivating plants, Exposes someone to an organism that they wouldn't, they might take for granted. They might take for granted as something that's on the shelf at at the supermarket. But the cross or the leaves that fall on on the, in the fall, and they may observe those. But they're actually the primary producers of all net energy on our planet. So if you begin to understand how those, I'm really geeking out on plants because I like plants, but they are the primary producers. And to know that we can cultivate them, we can tend them, and we can restore complex plant communities that benefit up and, up and down the food chain, then we know we ha- can involve ourselves in something beyond us. So that's what I think it's most about plants. I mean, I think this is the first time I, I, I said this. It was kind of embarrassing. I was at giving a class, and I said, plants, I was talking about transplanting, and I was simply saying that plants are not people. They do not, they root themselves in a spot. So when you think about transplanting them, moving them, you have to think about something that's rooted completely it sounds obvious but we take our mobility for granted if, does that make sense yeah. yeah so horticulture therapy to me takes someone into a whole different organism it's like you're on a, it's like you're talking to an alien
0: and that ability to affect positive change um, I think it's powerful for anybody no no matter what your living circumstances might be
1: yeah absolutely I would I would just say in addition to, you know, what Carl already shared, you know, I think we're also building resumes, um, providing job skills, um, you know, again, providing that that connection with with the environment and teaching about observation, really noticing something and and watching it grow, um, skills that can be transferable to relationships with people, uh, nurturing a living organism, Mm -hmm. maybe building empathy. And again, that's something we'd really love to measure at some point.
0: Thank you very much both for being on the program. It's been a pleasure to have you, and I think your work is just wonderful, so I will look forward to following its progress.
1: Thank you very much for having us. Thank you.
0: Kelly Bush and Carl Elliott of the Sustainability in Prisons Project in Washington State. They joined us today from the KOAS Community Radio on the Evergreen State College campus. The Sustainability in Prisons Project is a partnership between Evergreen State College and the Washington State Department of Corrections. Join us again next week as the conversations continue on the many ways people engage in and grow from the cultivation of their places. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North Shea Public Radio and JewelGarden.com. The program is produced by Sarah Bohannon. For this week's audio archive, to subscribe to the podcast or to hear extended audio relating to the Sustainability in Prisons program, please visit MyNSPR.org. For more information, including many photos, please visit JewelGarden.com. For daily photos and more, follow Cultivating Place on Instagram and Facebook. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.